few weeks ago, we honored, remembered the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. And I love how his daughter there, Bernice King, talks about how God's word was used in her life and the life of her family to bring healing to those hard places and to those places that had so much pain. And not just to bring healing to those places, but then also to uh, empower and fuel them to do what God called them to do, which was to bring forth justice and social justices in our, in our world. That's the calling they have. And, and that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God comes and it meets us where we are at. And what I'm so happy about is that some of you have come here and you're in a spot where you're dealing with a lot of pain. Some of you have come here and you're in a spot where you're dealing with lots of stress. Some of you come here and you're dealing with lots of unanswered questions. And, and when you study and put yourself before God's Word, God meets you in those places and He brings healing and He brings refreshing and He brings uh, insight and He brings you to that spot where all of a sudden you are who God intended you to be. And I love that today we're going to look at how does this word go from a book to something that we live out and that we're uh, living out and moving in powerfully. And so I'm really excited to do that. Um, we are in the middle of a series called Habits of Grace, and we're wrestling with this idea of how do we grow spiritually? How do we grow and become the people God wants us to be? How do we grow and get to know God more? How do we grow closer to God? And the author, we're basing this series off of a book called Habits of Grace by Dave Mathis. And Dave Mathis says that there's these ancient ways the church has always, always, always grown close to God. And there's three what he calls habits of grace. And these habits of grace are to hear God's voice, to have God's ear, and to live in God's body. And he writes in this book that we are to hear his voice, which is the word of God and knowing God's word. We are to have God's ear, which is prayer and how do we pray. And we're to live in God's body, which is to live inside the church at large. And so what we're doing here is we're going to be looking at each of these things for two weeks each, where we're going to look at having God or hearing God's voice, the Bible, having God's ear, and living in his body. And so today, I want to do part two of the first one, hearing God's voice. Last week, I kind of laid a Bible basics for you as a Bible one-on-one, what is the Bible? And today, I want to pick up from that and go one step further and, and answer a question. The question I want to answer is, how do we delight in God's word so it changes, transforms, and gives us life? How do we delight in God's word so that it changes, transforms, and gives us life. I want to look at that question. Hopefully, by the time I'm done, we'll have an answer to that. Well, how do we move in this direction? So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to Psalm chapter 1. If you're kind of new to the Bible, uh, don't let Psalms fool you. It begins with a P, P-S-A-L-M. If you go to the middle of the Bible, kind of go to the left a little bit. Uh, if you hit Job, you've gone too far, kind of go more to the right. You'll see Psalms there. Uh, it's, we're going to look at the very first chapter, chapter 1. If you have a Worship Center Bible, I'll be on page 472 in the Worship Center Bible. The overarching principle in Psalm 1 is this, that the, there's blessings for those who meditate, who love, and who give themselves off into God's Word, and there's a judgment that's going to come to those who blow it off and have nothing to do with it. 
There's a blessing that comes for those who love and meditate and enjoy and give themselves to the Bible. When we talk about God's Word, if you hear me say God's Word, I'm referring to the Bible. There's a blessing that comes when you give your life to that to Scripture. And if you don't, this, this Scripture verse talks about there's a judgment that comes. So there's two things happening here, and we want to dive into that. The Bible is a gift to God's people. And we're going to see three things here this morning as we look at this gift to God's people. First, we're going to see it's a source of blessing. We're going to see it as a source of blessing. Then we're going to see it as a source of delight. And then I want to talk a little bit about how we move from duty to delight with some takeaways. There's an attitude that we kind of bring to the Scripture sometimes as people who have been around the church for a while. It's this attitude of duty. And there's nothing wrong with duty in and of itself. There's certain things that we need to do for the duty of it. And there's just a duty that we have to fulfill. But duty doesn't work well in relationships. We don't love our spouses because of duty. We don't love our children because of duty. We don't hang out with friends that give us life because of duty. We do it because of delight. There's a delight that comes. And when we talk about our relationship with God, we want to look at the ways that we're not walking in religious duty, but we're walking in relational delight. And I think the Bible is a gift to help move us there. And so I want to talk about how we do that. But before we do, let's jump in to look at what this gift is. First is a source of blessing. It's a source of blessing. Look at the first two verses that Kathy read for us again. It says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. There's this opposite end spectrum that's happening. There's the one that doesn't do it and the one that does do it. The person who meditates, who loves, who obeys, who gives himself to this word, they are blessed. That's who the person is who's blessed. If we want God's blessing in our life, we must honor his word. I love when Bernice King said, if we want to honor God's word, as we honor his word, he will honor us. He comes and he inhabits that. He honors us by bringing the healing and bringing the things that we need to be all that God has for us. If we want God's blessing in our life, we must honor his word. First one gives us a picture of Christians who are living in a world different than they are. Verse 1 is giving us a picture of God's people, the jo Jewish people at the time, the race, and they were living in a nation that was different than theirs. They were living among people who didn't believe what they believed. They were living among people who could care less of how they were living. They were living among people who weren't interested in hearing about this God, this Yahweh God that they were serving. They were opposed to their message. They were opposed to everything that they believed in. And the instruction says you, they didn't, God didn't want them to pull and hide away. He wanted them in there, living in that place. But there's this tension of living in the world but not becoming like the world. These people, the Israel people, were not supposed to take on all the behaviors of those other nations around them. It was very clear that God's command was that they be set apart, that they be different. The Bible even calls in certain spots, it calls them a peculiar people. That the way they live in the world is somewhat peculiar to the rest. Like They're not supposed to blend in. They're supposed to kind of stand out so that people look and say, what's different about you? And, and the same exact command is given to us today. 
In John 17, 11 through 17, we, it says that we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to be in and among the world as we carry God's grace, as we carry God's love to different places. We're supposed to be in and among that, but we're not supposed to adapt the world's practices to the point where all of a sudden we're not distinguished. We're no longer peculiar. We look like we just fit right in. There's a, divide, there's a line there that's supposed to happen where we don't become like the world. But that's a tall order. Like, how do we stay in the world and not become like the world? See, that's one of the gifts of the blessings of God's Word. God's Word helps us in that exact spot. God's Word helps us to live in this world but not become like it because when we give our hearts and our lives to this Word and we delight in it, it guides and it leads us in the ways and the practices that we are supposed to become. It guides and it leads us there. It's a, it, it takes, uh, his, God uses his word to steer us, if you will, to instruct us, to help us live in this world but not become of it. Because if we start to become of it and we're giving ourselves this word, all of a sudden there's a, a conviction that comes in our hearts that says, no, I'm not supposed to live like that. I'm supposed to live like this. And we yield ourselves there. The Bible instructs us. It guides us. It leads us. It takes our mistakes and gently, lovingly comes along and says, hey, no, this is the right way. Kind of like last week, I uh, had a really cool moment. I love my son, Jared, to death. I love my daughter, Abby. I love my family. And uh, so after, first serv- or after second service last week, I did it first service, but especially second service, I was talking about the Bible basics. And I used that illustration, Isaiah, where I said, the trees of the field clap their hands. And I said, you know, the... D- we need to learn about literary form in the Bible and the form that there was there. There's different things going on in the Bible. There's poetry and there's narrative and there's history. And I was kind of making a point and I said, obviously trees don't have hands, right? So they don't clap. I said, it's a metaphor. The trees don't have hands. And after the sermon, I went and I sat down next to my son and, and my son, who's a lot smarter than I am, leans over and says, um, that's not metaphor. That's personification, that thing with the hands. And so I was like, you know, he... Yeah, some other English people are trying to happy about the correction. He's smarter than I am. He's got his mom's brains, not dad's, right? And so there's this time, but that's what the Bible does. The Bible instructs us. The Bible gives instruction and says, no, no, it's not that. It's this. The Bible comes along lovingly and gently and says, hey, no, no, it's this. And it's a gift. It's a blessing that we are supposed to embrace. It's a gift that God gave us to be a peculiar people. Look at verse 2 again. Instead, their delight, those that uh, are here, their delight is in the Lord's instruction. They meditate on it day and night. So there's this blessing that comes. He's, He's talking about these people who meditate on God's word. They read it over and over and over and over. You know, that word meditate, we can have lots of weird different ideas about that word. When it's talking about meditate, it's not talking about the Eastern religious form of the word meditate. It's not talking about I empty my brain and I empty myself. See, that's the Eastern form of that word. You empty everything inside of you and you empty and empty and empty and then you find this inner peace. That's not the Christian meditation. Christian meditation is the opposite. We're not emptying, we're filling. We're filling our minds, we're filling our hearts, 
hearts. We're filling our lives with God's word. We're taking these scripture verses and we're pouring them into our heart and absorbing and absorbing and absorbing because God's going to use it. So when we look at meditating, it means to read this book over and over and over again and let it get inside of us. You see, when we fill ourselves with God's word, God's word shifts from duty to delight. When we fill ourselves with God's word in the way I'm going to lay out for you, it shifts from duty to delight. You know why? Because when we fill ourselves with God's word, we get more of God. We get more of this living person that comes into our life and changes our hearts because we're giving ourselves to it. And as we give ourselves, as we read it, as we memorize it, as we put it in front of us, as we constantly come back and make this our source, all of a sudden it gives us life. If we speak to God about the word, the word speaks to us about God. If we speak to us, to God about the word, the word speaks to us about God. 1 John chapter 2, 22 says that we are supposed to be a people who abide in God's word. Abide, grabbing life from. It's a source of life. And here's the deal. God's word says, I'm going I'm to lay out some things that the Bible says, the Bible instructs us, it says that God's word says that we're supposed to love the Bible more than these things I'm going to list. And in these things I'm going to list, I'm going to give a whole bunch of verses that talk about and say this, but I'm not expecting you to write them all down or look them all up because I'm going to kind of give them to you rapid fire. You note takers, I love it. I'm glad you're taking notes. I'm going to frustrate you a little bit because I'm just going to throw these out there. Don't worry about it. If you're really hung up and have to have them, email me. I'll send them to you. But I just want, my point is not that you grab them all and go look there. My point is that you see that the Bible is full of us pushing us to these places. We are supposed to love God's word more than food. Psalm 119, 103, Job 23, 12, Jeremiah 15, 17, Matthew 4, 4, 1 Peter 2, 2. We are supposed to love God's word more than sleep. Psalm 119, 55, verse 62, verse 147, verse 164. We are to love God's word more than money and wealth. Psalm 119, 14, 72, 127, 162. We are supposed to love God's word more than friends. Psalm 119, 23, 51, 95, 119. You see, we are supposed to love God's word more than food, more than sleep, more than money, more than wealth, more than friendship. God is supposed to come first. And you know what happens, though? When we live in this world, we, a little bit of the world starts to touch our hearts, and we start to believe that things like food and money and sleep and wealth are better and more life-giving than God in his word. We buy into that lie. It's a mistake in thinking that things like food and money and wealth and sleep and friendships will give me more life than God's word. You see, it's a lie that we buy into because we're walking in this world and it whispers in our ear all these things because we're bombarded by these messages when the fact is we need to stop and say God's word tells us and instructs us that we are to love God's word more than that. And you know what? When you start to take God's word as it was intended to be taken, all of a sudden you begin to believe that because you begin to realize that the reason that we love God Food and sleep and wealth and money and friends more than God's word is because those are good things. They're blessings from God. We're supposed to enjoy those things. But here's the deal. They're second place blessings. 
We are never, ever supposed to take a second-place blessing and put it in first place of our life. If you take a second-place blessing like food or sleep or wealth or money or position or power or ambition or material things, and you make them a first-place blessing and you make it the first thing in your life, your life will never, ever line up and be fulfilling. You will always eventually be longing. Things will be falling apart. You'll want to have more because God has intended us to live with him in that one and only first place. He in his word as we interact with him has to come first in our life. It's a first place blessing. You can't take a second place blessing and make it first and expect your life to be all together. It won't happen. It'll fall apart at the seams. And part of this walk as Christians, what we need to learn is we need to take what's the first place blessing and put it in first place. And we enjoy the second place blessings, but they stay in their proper place underneath, submitted to my relationship with God and his word. And when you do that, God's word becomes a delight. It moves from duty to delight because you get it and you realize how amazing it is. Look at verse 3. The person that does this and meditates day and night, they are like a tree planted beside a flowing stream that bears fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I have a picture I want to put up here of a a tree. The, The scripture here just paints this beautiful picture of this tree planted by a flowing stream of water. And like a tree planted by a stream, the person that takes God's word and meditates on it, that reads it, that lets it read them, that gives it time and that just pours their heart over it, that person becomes alive. That person becomes fruitful. That person becomes useful. That person thrives. That person is able to bless others and that person is able to stand the tests of time. That person is able to stand in the storms of life that come and never give an inch because they're drawing life not from what they're experiencing out in the world. They're drawing life from their root system in God. See, the most important part of a tree is not the part that we see. The most important part is the root system that goes down and taps into the water. And the most important part of the Christian isn't our outward behavior and the things that we have. That's affected by the root system that we have to sink down into God and his word and abiding in Jesus Christ through these habits of grace. And when we do that, we become the flourishing people that God intends us to be. People who are fruitful. People who have life. People who can stand the course of time. People who are blessing others because of the root system they established. See, that's the picture that God has for us. It's an amazing picture. The Bible calls us in John 15 to abide in Jesus Christ. That's where we're supposed to be as his followers. We're supposed to be people who abide, who remain, who make Jesus our life, who constantly are with him. And we do that by hearing his voice and being in his word. A group of us went to, uh, a group of men from here went to No Regrets, the conference down in Milwaukee yesterday. And as I was sitting there and I was listening to uh, this, one of my favorite preachers, Stuart Briscoe, preach, um, I was blown away. This guy's 85 years old. He founded Elmbrook Church in a basement. Now it's a church of over 3,000 people. And just he's seen God's word do so much in his life. And you can tell when he was preaching that it wasn't just this exercise of transferring information from one place to another. You can tell that he had a root system. 
He rooted himself in God's word, and he was preaching on Ephesians uh, chapter 5, but he went through Ephesians 1 through 5 to get there, and as he did, I could just tell that this guy spent hours in this book. This guy spent hours pouring this over. It was almost like I said to Pastor Chris when he got done, that guy preached that verse of Ephesians like he wrote it. Now, he didn't write the Bible, but he just gave his heart to it so much, it just oozed out of him to this point where you could just feel the difference. It was transformation. It was life being transported from here to there because he had a spiritual root system that tapped deep into God's Word. And it was a picture for all of us as guys, and I'm hoping all the guys that went didn't miss that, that at 85 years old, you want to be a tree that's planted by a stream because you've given hours and hours to this book. You've let this book read you. You've become a person of this book. That's my heart for all of us across your church, that we become people of this book, that it reads us as we read it because of the time we put into it. In Scripture, there are times where water is a symbol for certain things. Drinking water, many times in Scripture, is a picture of the Holy Spirit and how we're supposed to drink in the Holy Spirit. We see this in John 7 and 1 Corinthians 10. Also, Scripture talks about washing of water. Often when Scripture talks about washing with water, it's talking about God's Word. We see that in Psalm 119.9, John 15.3, in Ephesians chapter 5. Oftentimes, a thirst for a water is equivalent to a thirst for God. We see this in Psalm 42 and Psalm 67 where this thirst we have for water is supposed to be a, a, a symbol of our thirst we have for God. Well, oftentimes a river in Scripture is a symbol of God's provision and spiritual blessing for God's people. We see this in Psalm 36 and Psalm 46 and Psalm 78, 105, Exodus 17, Numbers 20, Revelation 22. This picture of this river is a life-giving river full of God's blessings. And we have in Psalm 1 this picture of a, a person who gives themselves to God's word, and it becomes this stream. You see, as Christians, we can't nourish ourselves in our own strength and our own space and time. We don't have the resources to nourish. As Christians, we go and we get our nourishment from God. And when we give our nourishment to God and we go before him, it changes us, it energizes us, it gives us life, it brings healing, it brings pain to those pains, it brings confidence to those insecurities, it brings faith to those places of doubt, and it brings transformation. You see, that's what, it's not about information and soaking this information up, it's meeting with God in his word and having him hit those places. See, because here's what happens sometimes. Many of you do something that I did this week. We wake up in the morning, and sometimes this happens to me. It happened a few times this week where I woke up in the morning, and the first thought that hits my head is, man, you really blew it. In that situation, you should have did X, Y, Z, and instead you did this, this, this. You're a jerk. Or, you know what, you should have did X, Y, Z, and you didn't do that. Or you should not have done this, and you did do that. And we recite these lies that come into our head. And so many of God's people, you know what they do? They stop right there. And they just accept that. And they just say, well, I guess that's who I am. And we go on. 
And in doing so, you cut yourself off from the life that God has. You cut yourself off from the person God intended you to be. You see, when you are a tree that whose root system goes into this word, when those lies come into your head, like it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are not to be conformed to the ways of this world. You see, the world and its ways constantly are bombarding us, telling us lies about what we need to be satisfied, about who we are, and how arrogant we are as Christians to believe this book that is so sweet. When there all these lies come in from the outside and then all these lies come in from the inside where we believe all these lies about ourselves and when that happens, we're conforming ourselves to the ways of this world. But that verse says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way you're transformed by the renewing of your mind is you give your heart to this book And you carve out time in your life to go before and meet the God of this book and let this book read you and you interact and you commune with God and you realize that those things you're saying about yourself are lies. And you say, no, God, will you, yeah, I shouldn't have did that, but it's not going to take me to shame. It's going to take me to conviction. God, will you forgive me for that? And now I walk in the grace and the forgiveness and the love that you have for me as your child. And you don't look at me and call me a jerk. You look at me and you say, I love my son. I love my daughter. And the word of God that speaks that love into your heart as a child of God permeates into your life and into your soul. And it changes you. And when that happens, this book moves from duty to delight. It moves from religion to relationship. It moves from death to life. And you can't get enough. Don't settle for those lies. So the Bible is a source of blessing. The Bible is a source of delight. Now I want to move into practically our takeaways. How do we move from duty to delight practically? How do we move from this book being duty to this book being delight? Number one, first of all, we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. If you want to get anything out of this book, you have to put forward thought into it. You have to have a plan. You have to be intentional. That's why we're doing this series in the beginning of the year because this is the time of year where people start thinking, how do I want to change and what do I want to do? And they start getting intentional. You have to be intentional about making this book your delight. And the way we encourage you to do that in the beginning of the year, I sent out an email that had about, I don't know, 20 different Bible reading plans in it where you could take one of those plans and adapt it, adopt it and say, I'm going to follow this plan this week. If you want, in our bulletin, every single week in our bulletin, we have a Word of Life reading plan where you can look through and you can read that scripture for that day and go through it. You, that could be your plan. But you have to be intentional. You have to think forethought into this. You can just pick up this Bible and read it anywhere you want and maybe get something out of it. But the person who is intentionally giving themselves to this book is the one that's going to experience the delight. And really, really practically, I want to give you a tool that you can use, if, especially if you've never done this before. If you've never really looked at the Bible series before, I want to give you a tool, especially if you're one, person, you're one of those people who loves your phone, you love the apps on your phone. There's an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U version, and that's what it looks like, the one that's circled there. If you go to your app store, you download that Bible, download the YouVersion Bible, it's free of charge, there's no cost to it, you download that. They have literally thousands and thousands of Bible reading plans. Literally. There's thousands of plans. You go get check plans. It goes through. It lists all these different plans. But they have a plan they just came out with a couple weeks ago with the intention of creating people and helping them develop the habit of bringing their heart before God's Word. 
you know, the people say, if you do something for 21 days, it becomes a habit, right? 21 days become a habit. John, the Gospel of John, the book of John in the New Testament, has 21 chapters to it all about Jesus. There's a Bible reading plan on the Gospel of John with a commentary by a pastor named J. Vernon McGee. You download that app, select this plan, and then from 21 days, it gives you this reminder. You open it up. You read the Scripture verse, John 1, 1 to 18. That's chapter 1. You read through that. And then you click on the devotional part, and it's Pastor McGee going through, telling you what you just read and explaining it to you. It's all like a built-in study Bible right there. In 10 minutes, you could anchor yourself and develop the roots that go down spiritually to give you spiritual nourishment. 10 minutes a day. You can do this and then spend some more time just praying and asking God to help you understand his word better. It's right on your phone. You click on it. It can't be any easier. You can spend 10 minutes a day in God's Word and develop a 21-day habit where you can become a person who is like that tree who's planted by that stream who gets life from there, right? So I encourage you to do that. Be intentional. However you have to do it, get a plan. Number two, William Carey, who was a missionary in the 1800s, said that the Christian life is a daily plod, P-L-O-D, And what I want to say, number two, is expect daily plotting. Expect daily plotting. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. There's times where you read something in the Bible and it's just like goosebumps go up your back and your spine. You're just like, ah, this is amazing. I feel like God's word there. And then there's sometimes you read the Bible and it's just like, why am I even reading this? And you got to read the same thing four or five times and you still don't get anything out of it. And then there's a lot of times where it's somewhat in between those two extremes. That's the reality of the Christian life. It's this daily plot. There's moments where God in his grace says, I'm going to give a gift to my child. And he breathes in his presence over you in a way where you feel God's presence in a way where it's almost like he's standing right here and I could like cut and feel his presence. And then there's moments where God says, I'm going to let my child grow a little bit. I'm going to pull back my manifest presence. God's always with us, but I'm going to pull back my manifest presence, the feeling of my presence, and let them grow a little bit. You see, both are a gift of grace. Sometimes God graces us with his presence manifest in a way that all of a sudden we feel it like it's there and we can reach out and touch him. And sometimes it feels like we're in this thing on our own, but God's still there and he's there even though we can't feel him and he's just helping us to grow a little bit. And a lot of times it's somewhere in between. You see, when it comes to spiritual life and growth, it's a lot like physical life and growth. I can't tell you what I had for dinner on March 23rd, 2004, but I can tell you I probably ate something. You see, you, when you eat, you eat to get life. And when you eat spiritually and you set up times to meet with God's word, it's not always to have this amazing, great meal that's the best meal ever, but a whole life that is patterned over regularly meeting with God in his word bears life and bears fruit, and it builds the spiritual nourishment, the spiritual root, no matter what happens in life. And the way you build that spiritual root system is to Put the time in and daily go before God in his word. That's how it's done. So expect daily plotting. The last four I want to look at are done uh, through an acronym called PRAY. And they come from a pastor named Mark Patty. He laid these out and I saw it. And I loved it and I want to put it in the sermon. So the last four, we just remember the acronym PRAY. The first one, P, is actually praying. We ask God to help us as we read his word. Prayer is an ongoing, conversational being with God. 
That's Dan's definition. An ongoing conversational being with God. Sometimes we talk, sometimes we just be with our dad, but that's prayer. It's being with him. And as believers, we need to do this and we need to ask God to come and show us his word. A man who helped start our denomination, Philip Spenner, in the 1800s said this, the first means to proper Bible reading is heartfelt prayer. The first means to proper Bible reading is heartfelt prayer. When we pray and we interact with the Bible, it moves this from information to transformation because the Holy Spirit comes and grabs it and drives it into our heart. Spenner wrote this. He said, We are to close off our reading with prayer so that the Holy Spirit might also hallow or make holy what we have read and seal it in our hearts Not only do we hold the word in our thoughts, and I love this, don't miss this, he says, but that the Spirit's power might impress the Bible into our soul. Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't you love to have the Bible impressed by the Holy Spirit, God himself, into your soul? That's why we pray when we read the Bible. We ask him to transform and change. The next letter, R, stands for repent. When Jesus began his ministry in Matthew 2, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is, there, is near. He could have said a lot of things. He could have said, Give worship, for the kingdom of heaven is here. He could have said, Love one another, for the kingdom of heaven. He said, Repent. And here's the reason why. God is always present. And one of the basic steps in any kind of Christian spirituality is to recognize that God is always present. And our role is to turn from ourselves and turn towards God. That's what it means to repent. To find God. Where is he? God, where are you? And I'm going to turn and align my heart to where God is. I'm going to align to where he is. We turn from our sin, from our selfish ways, from the things we want. But an essential lesson in the spiritual life is that God is always near. And the key is we need to turn our hearts, orient our lives to where God is. You see, that's repentance. That's what it means. Spenner also said this. He said, Scripture is an altar where we meet with the living God. Isn't that amazing? That will move you from duty to delight. When you realize that this book, that Scripture is an altar where we meet with the living God, that will change how you approach this book. It's an altar where we come. It's a place. It's absolutely critical in moving from duty to delight when we understand that this book is is an altar where the presence of God is, and we come to meet the living God in that place. We come and we open ourselves to God's agenda. I love this definition of repentance as well. well. Repentance is a turning toward God and letting God love us, guide us, and have his way in us. Repentance is turning towards God and having God love us, guide us, and have his way in us. That's repentance. It's not just to add knowledge. It's to bring transformation. And we do that when we repent. A in in prayer is ask. Ask questions. Come to the Bible curious. Come to the Bible with curiosity. Ask questions. When you read the Bible, look at it and ask questions. Ask questions about God. God, why did you do it like this? How are you like this? God, what's going on? But even bigger than that, ask questions about yourself. How am I in light of this? How should I live my life if this is true? Because it is. Where do I line up here and where do I line up? Ask questions about yourself. And then find a friend and ask questions of a friend. Hey, when you read this, what do you think the original meaning is there? 
and maybe get a study Bible and look at it together and ask questions together about the Word, about God. Ask questions together about yourselves. I have this dream, right? I, I think, you know, maybe the video in the beginning is rubbing off on me. I have a dream about Crossview Church. I can say that because I showed something about Martin Luther King Jr. I, one of my dreams for Crossview Church as your pastor is that we, I would walk into the foyer and there'd be open Bibles everywhere. That people across you would be wrestling with God's word and saying, hey, what do you think this means? Like, I read this this week and I'm trying to figure this out. How, how do you see applying that verse here? And not just in our foyers, but it's happening in our homes during life groups where people are interacting around the Bible and saying, what do you think that means? I'm not going to get out of here until I find out what this is for me. There's something in it. I'm going to beat this. Martin Luther said he used to beat the scripture until he got it into his head and his heart what the meaning was. We're going to ask. We're going to grow. We're going to be people that do this. We're going to do it corporately in a group and ask questions. We're going to do it personally, but we're going to wrestle with God's word and ask questions We always have to approach this by asking questions. You never, ever, ever, ever want to be a Bible expert. You never want to be a Bible expert because the moment you think you've arrived at being an expert in the Bible, you're going to stop asking the questions and you're going to stop growing and this is going to stop being a delight and it's going to start being a duty. You never want to be a Bible expert. You want to grow and become a Bible expert, but you realize that you're always going to be becoming. You're always going to be in this place where you're growing. But we never want to come with this familiarity of, yeah, I heard that all before. I know all that. I don't need to go any deeper. See, the Bible is a living and active book. It doesn't matter how long. Stuart Briscoe was 85 years old, and the man was still delighting and mining out of this word because it's real, it's living and active, and it moves you from duty to delight and gives you life. So we come and we ask questions of it. And finally, the why is when you read the Bible, you say yes to it. When you read the Bible, you read it with the word yes on the tip of your tongue. And you're eager to say, you know what, God, I want to take all the things I feel, all the loves I have, all the things I want, and if that's different than what I see in this word, this word wins. I'm going to die to those things and say, yeah, I'm going to become this because I want to be like that tree. I want to put, can we put a picture of that tree up again? I want to be like that tree by the stream. And the way I get there is I have to take the stuff inside of me that says, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. And I see that that's not in here. Those are second place blessings that come later. I need that first place blessing. I'm going to say, God, no, I'm going to say no to that. And I'm going to say yes to you. And I'm going to reorient my heart to follow you because your word is true. My desires, my inclinations, my things that I want, they're coming from a broken heart. They're coming from a marred place, a place that's marred by sin. They're imperfect. This is perfect. And I want to put my life here, not in my own weak, fickle desires that are going to change in a matter of months. I want to anchor my life here so I can become like that, this tree that has a spiritual root system that's anchored in drawing life. I want to close by telling you a story about when I was in the Air Force and deployed in Desert Storm and we were overseas in Saudi Arabia. And and one of the things that we looked forward to all the time, especially after the war went on for a long time, was a letter from home. Letters from home to a soldier or an airman or a person overseas. You have no idea, unless you've been in that spot, and I know some of you have, you you have no idea what that letter can mean. I mean, it takes on a proportion. It becomes like you're everything. And I remember during Desert Storm, they had these 
bags of mail would come off the truck for us, and there were bags that were like they're big duffel bags, and some were red. You had red, and you always had like five or six red bags, and then you had like one or two yellow. And the red bags were cool, they're fine, but what the red bags were during that time of Desert Storm, there's an awful lot of patriotism. patriotism. The people were behind the effort, they were supporting their troops, and they had a thing called write any service member. So you can write any service member you want, and it went through, and, and there was pounds of that. It showed how much America supported their troops and loved their troops. They had these red, uh, it, those were in the red bags. The bags were always the, any service member. The yellow bags were the ones that were addressed personally to us from family and friends. Now, the red bags were great. I'm not knocking the red bags. I was glad that America did that. It was awesome they reached out. But I think you would agree, if you can get a, a letter from a stranger just encouraging you, that's great, it's a one thing, but you get a letter from home, it's a different ball game, right? And when I, I, we'd always look for the yellow bags. How many yellow bags are there? Yellow, and then you see the yellow bags, like, oh, maybe I have one. There's three yellow bags. Hey, there's three yellow bags. Maybe the, we, there's a letter from home for me in there. The odds are better if there's more yellow, I got a chance I could have one. And then you get that letter, and you know what that letter would do? It'd do two things to us. First, it made us homesick. It made us homesick. We started thinking about home. We started thinking about what people were doing. We started thinking about what it was like, and we realized how different where we are compared to there. You see, the Bible is a letter that's intended to make us homesick when we read it. You see, as Christians, this isn't our home. What we live in day in, day, day out isn't the be-all, get-all. There's something that's so bigger and greater waiting for us as Christians. And when we read this book, it's supposed to make us homesick. It's supposed to ruin us for this life here and put our affections for the life that's to come and say, man, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to be with Jesus face-to-face forever and ever in the thrones of heaven. Heaven isn't going to be a place where we just sit on a cloud with a harp. Those are bad images. That's boring. Heaven's going to be absolutely amazing. It's where you're going to feel more alive than you've ever felt in your life, and that's what's coming. And so for the follower of Jesus Christ to pour themselves into this letter, all of a sudden they get homesick for what the truth is and where we're going. We get homesick when we read this letter. But the other thing those letters did to us when we were in the war, I knew that every letter, even the ones that came out of the red bags, were written with love. Somebody sat down and carved out part of their time and wrote down things because they loved me. You see, when you read this letter, this is God's love letter to you. And he's written it to you, and he intends it to go to those places that the world has beaten out of you and has given you lies and said, you're nothing, you're no good, you're pain. And all those experiences you've carried up to this point that have colored your view of life. And God wants to, through his love letter, experience, have you experience the love of the Heavenly Father. You see, this is an altar. And we're to come to the altar of the living God. And when we do that, we get a picture of where we're coming, we get homesick for heaven, and we're filled with the love that our Father has for us. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would just open our eyes. I pray, God, that if there's anything in us that has set up a lie of what we think the Bible is, whether we think it's boring, whether we think it's out of date, whether we think it's controversial, whether we think all these things, God, it really doesn't matter what we think. 
And as your children, we humble ourselves right now. And we come before you as humble little kids. And we say thank you for talking to us. Thank you for leaving us the gift of your word to interact with us. God, I pray for every heart here. I pray that we, as Crossview Church, would be a people on a journey in your word. And as we journey in your word, it would come alive and we'd realize who you are and we'd realize who we are. And that you'd use it, that you would create within us that tree, that tree with the amazing nourishment. God, let us be like the people in Psalm 1 who took your word and obeyed it, meditated on it, loved it, delighted in it, and found life there. Don't let us be like the people who blew it off and chased after so many things that promised life but came up empty. Life is too short, God. I ask you create within us. Give us a want to go beyond self-discipline and give us a thirst and a hunger to know your word as you intended and move us from duty to delight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Please stand as we worship.